0: This podcast is sponsored by eBookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at eBookit.com.
1: Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin, And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, when we think of great leaders as being effective communicators, what often comes to mind is, how they deliver their message from the platform. We think of their style, their clarity, the passion they deliver, the inspiration, primarily what comes out of their mouth, but less often what gets absorbed and processed through their ears. Our guest today will enlighten us on how we as leaders can become more
2: effective listeners. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? Our guest today is Joel Schwartzberg. Joel is the Senior Director of Strategic and Executive Communications for a U.S. national nonprofit, a presentation coach, and the author of The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team, and Get to the Point, Sharpen Your Message, and Make Your Words Matter. Joel is a frequent contributor to the Toastmaster magazine, and a recent contribution appears in the July 2022 issue of the Toastmaster. It's called Seven Ways Leaders Can Listen More Effectively. Joining us from Chatham, New Jersey, welcome Joel Schwartzberg. Welcome. Thank you, Greg and Ryan. It's my pleasure and privilege to be here. Joel, is, Greg just mentioned, we often think of leaders and we think of them delivering the communication. To kick us off here, can you share, why do you think listening is a critical skill for leaders? Well, generally when we see research or we
0: poll employees and staffers or they're asked, what do they respect and admire? What inspires them about leadership? What often comes up is the leader's ability to listen, acknowledge, uh, show appreciation And this is interesting because, like you said, usually we think of leaders behind the podium uh, orating or sharing points. But just as importantly, at least, uh, is that leader's ability to listen effectively. And that word effectively is very, very important in what the article is about, because sure, we can hear anything. We have ears. That's a physical process. As points and as ideas travel from ears to brain, that becomes our process and leaders process as a thinker to really listen hard. Often we call this active listening. But what I tried to get into the article was not just things you could read if you Googled active listening, uh, but specific things leaders can do to not only uh, listen effectively, but then reflect what they
1: have learned uh, back to their teams. That's perfect, because as you're speaking, I was thinking i have Simon and Garfunkel in my head. You know, the (laughs) lyric from Sounds of Silence, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. Right. Now, I'm making the assumption from what you're saying and from what I've read is hearing is more passive and listening by definition is more active. I'm wondering, is this accurate or is there more to that distinction? I think you sort of nailed it. I think of hearing as a a passive
0: activity. We hear a train passing by. Uh, We hear people on the table next to us when we're at a restaurant. Uh, Listening, I consider an active process. And you listen, as odd as this sounds, not just with your ears, but with your eyes, uh, with your head, which we should discuss what that means, uh, with your brain. So you're actually tapping into A lot more that's going
1: on from the neck up uh, and sometimes from the neck down than just our ears. That's funny because I don't know how often I hear people say, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. What they should be saying is, I'm listening to you. Because they could be hearing you, but not actually listening to you. (laughs) Right. Listening is the more powerful word. And when I
0: talk about uh, below the neck, you know, we think of gesturing as the process of a speaker. But even gesturing can be a process by which you communicate how carefully you're listening.
2: Joel, I'd like to talk for a moment about the first of your seven ways that leaders can listen more effectively. And that Mm -hmm. is, of course, you mentioned it a moment ago, maintaining eye contact. You say in a virtual meeting, Uh, distinguishing, obviously, from in-person communications. That means looking into the camera's cold eye, not into a warm digital face. Love the poetry of that, by the way. (laughs) Here's what I want to ask you. When I'm on a Zoom meeting or a Google Meet meeting, I often feel this tension between looking into the eye of the camera to simulate that eye contact, but also wanting to look at the faces of the participants so I can read the room, and adjust accordingly. I wonder, do you experience this tension as well? And if so, how do you navigate it?
0: Yeah, for years, in fact, for our lifetimes, what are we trained? When we are showing respect to someone speaking, we look them in the eye. And this is easy enough, or at least we know to do this when we're live in front of someone. And we as Toastmasters know the impact that can have on an audience. But when you move from a room to a Zoom, eye contact means looking at that tiny black dot in your camera which is either at the top of your monitor or if it's an external camera sitting at the top of it and that's uncomfortable. There are reasons why this is important and the most obvious one is to maintain this eye contact. The truth is when you're looking at what I call the Brady Bunch, uh, that screen with everybody on it, you know and I know uh, that you're really not looking at them. You're looking slightly off screen because that's not where your camera is. But the other thing is when you're looking into your camera, you are showing people that you are truly paying as much attention as you can. Uh, You're showing respect. You're showing acknowledgement. And here's the funny thing that people should realize when they think, well, I have to monitor the audience, right? I have to look and see how they're reacting. Well, when someone on the Zoom screen in the Brady Bunch grid looks to the side, is it because they're bored or is it because their cat threw up? (laughs) When someone looks up, is it because they're not paying attention or is it because there's a leak in the ceiling? We don't know. So sometimes these cues tell us one thing intuitively that can be entirely incorrect. Generally, what I tell speakers, whether they're speaking or listening, is to not take cues and not even pay attention to the people in the audience on the Brady Bunch grid because they may be getting inaccurate information. What I'm more concerned about is people looking into the camera. And one way to make sure you do that is to not have your notes or your PowerPoint or anything else on another screen or to the side, Uh, move everything as close to that camera as possible, because here's the rule of thumb I use when you are speaking or listening and looking into your camera, you should be only having to move your eyes to refer to your notes or your PowerPoint, not your head or your neck. Uh, That way, you're either looking directly into the camera, which means directly into your audience, or
1: very close to it. I'm thinking as a speaker, yes, absolutely. Try to keep your notes slightly below the camera level. But Mm -hmm. as a listener, I find it really hard to look in the camera because I am looking for those cues. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of the nonverbal cues? Well, what I would generally recommend when you're
0: listening on Zoom is to use your camera not to keep your eyes focused there the entire time, because things are going to happen on that screen that you need to pay attention to. How I would characterize it is more as checking in on that camera, that eye contact, or keeping your eye contact on the camera and checking in on the Brady Bunch screen. In other words, bounce back and forth, but keep it close so you could bounce back and forth merely by moving your eyes. So you're getting those cues, you're seeing what's happening, certainly you're seeing their PowerPoint if they're sharing screen, uh, but also every once in a while looking at the camera. And here's one distinction I would make. If you're asking a question, you volunteered in chat or you unmuted yourself, try to ask that question into the camera so you have the power of eye contact as you're directly communicating. But as you're just passively watching and i say this about the virtual background too uh, you can lighten up a little bit about that if you're a passive listener but again the moment you are asking a question or you are sharing input or feedback then you become a presenter as we know that's when you benefit from looking into the camera and in a live presentation you know i do presentations in front of groups of people and just to show the power of eye contact at one point I walk up to someone singularly and I look them in the eye. Believe me, that person is not looking away, not checking (laughs) their email. They are drilled into me. And I do that to show the power of eye contact. And just like that's a narrow vision, uh, if I'm looking at everybody, there are aspects of that that definitely uh, pertain and have impact as well. In Zoom, we try to mimic the powerful things we can do in a live setting. And so one of them is to utilize the camera, let's say, whenever you are speaking. And it helps uh, when you're listening as well, because as the speakers will generally look at the screen, whether they listen to me or not. And so if they see someone looking directly at you, and that means into the camera, they know they have a connection with you. The nice thing about what I do is I have a day job. And in my day job, I get to see all these things in practice and also see how they evolve. Uh, So every time I learn something from an interaction at work, I bring it into my training,
2: and I write an article for Toastmasters about it.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Perfect.
2: Joel, I think a lot of people, a lot of leaders even think, oh, listening. Yeah, of course. Of course, I know how to listen. I communicate every day. I went to school. I I know everything. I have ears. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. How do you actually know? How do you develop that self-awareness to know if you actually are a good active listener or not? I think everybody has the capacity to listen
0: effectively. You know, I just wrote an article recently about uh, showing empathy in leadership. And the first thing I said is not every leader is equally empathic. (laughs) There are different levels and you should aspire to the level where you can convey that level of, of empathy. But listening is a different matter. We can all listen effectively. And I think what it's all about is removing other distractions. So if you do research, you know there's no such thing as multitasking. We like to say, oh, I'm a great multitasker, and the brain doesn't work that way. Uh, Nothing happens simultaneously. What your brain is doing is toggling quickly sometimes between two different things. Now, if you have your email open on one screen and your meeting open on the other screen, and you're trying to do both at once, nobody's going to raise their hand if I asked, Have you done that effectively? (laughs) Did that not take something away from your Zoom meeting if you're also checking your email? I mean, it's just impossible to multitask, especially during a meeting. And it's also not respectful. So when someone asks and I'm giving the answer to how can someone listen effectively, the first thing is to turn off all those distractions, whether it's your phone, whether it's your second screen, whether it's pets in the room, anything going on, try to stay focused on that meeting and that one singular screen. Always try to listen to learn. Don't think of the goal as listening. Think of the goal as learning. Now, there are different learning styles, but if you make it your job to learn, then you're going to adapt your particular listening style and learning style for that moment. So the goal is not just to hear it, uh, have your ears on. The goal is to learn from it. And each of us, if we have that goal, we all went to you know high school and college. Uh, we all went to seminars where we learned things. Our brain knows what to do if it wants to learn. The hearing style will click in if we have that goal in mind.
1: It's funny because I I like the fact that you mentioned the word being respectful, and Ryan and I, of course, don't want to be disrespectful, but in the spirit of keeping the conversation going, of course, we are recording this and we will be editing it, Ryan and I are not in the same room. Typically, we are, in fact, texting each other back and forth to Mm -hmm. say, okay, we need to move this question here. This was already repeated. Ryan, can you take the next question? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Making reference back to, I think it was point number three in your article, use your listening time to listen. Right. I mean, obviously, we need to do this. How would we break the habit of listening to respond? Or how can we be more effective if, let's say, for example, you're saying something, a question pops into my head while you're speaking, and then I automatically lose focus? If that happens, and it's prone to happen,
0: some people are natural, effective listeners, and some people need to work at it. And if you're a a natural listener, you will be able to to be thinking about listening to learn and not having that distraction of what do I want to say. If you're the other type of person, which frankly I am, I'm easily distracted. I have a short (laughs) attention span. I'm trying to listen to learn. Now, if a question comes to my head, what I will do is write it down immediately. I always have a pad next to me. I write it down. It's done. I will not forget it. You know What happens is if we have a question in our head, we don't want to forget it and we want to fine tune it. Uh, So we're wasting a lot of listening time to do that. So if you have a pad or your book or even a a digital sticky note, just write it down there. Then you won't have to worry about forgetting it. Uh, Sometimes we can use chat to pose the question. Then the moderator will pull it from chat. Basically, whatever you can do to bring closure to that moment of thinking about what am I going to say? uh, So you can resume the act of effective listening. Now, some leaders, they don't know how to listen. And they're always focused on, all right, what am I going to say next? What's my next point? I ask the question, I'll move on to cognitively, at least my next piece of business. That is a leadership approach that just needs to change. Uh, You always need to focus on listening to learn, not just listening, not just being there, which we sometimes assume is happening if we're on a Zoom call. We're there, so we're processing. Really, it's about focusing on why you're there to learn. And especially for leaders, understanding that you work with a group of people, you work with teams, ideas can come up from anyone and then they're fine-tuned by everyone else. So if you really respect that process of we have people here because we can all have good ideas and fine-tune them together, we're unified in a mission. If you truly believe that and leaders should, then you'll be tuned in and understand that a good idea can come from anywhere Uh, that can make even your life as a leader more effective.
1: Sounds like you really need to work on that if you have that habit that you need to break.
0: Yeah, think of it like a muscle. Uh, Work it out. Try to get better. Try to be a better listener at every every meeting. Even put stickies on your monitor that say listening, learning, so you can remind yourself why you're there.
2: Joel, like a lot of us, I have definitely find myself in the situation where, whether it's with family or at work where I'm having a conversation and I'm formulating my response or my rebuttal as I'm listening to the other person speak. But I've also experienced the flip side when I really am intently listening and just trying to follow this person's logic, their perspective, processing it all. Every now and then, as I'm in that process, my interlocutor will say, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. And I'll find myself flat footed. What do I think? I haven't even moved to like what I think. I'm still trying to take on what you're sharing with me. And I, I feel it comes across weak when that happens. I'd love to hear your response to that. Sure. Well, there's a flaw in that question. And I've written
0: articles about how to use chat and how to ask questions. You can even Google that, how to ask good questions, probing questions when you have a meeting. And a bad question is, what do you think? (laughs) Or what do you have to say? Or any feedback? Anyone want to comment? Because that's (laughs) a blank canvas, and it's not really directing people. Better questions are, do you agree with this or disagree or why? Or what aspect of your work applies to what I just said? Then people can have a roadmap to how they're going to answer that question. So a lot of the flaw comes from the question.
2: Interesting. And I guess we can refer our listeners to point seven in your article, Ask Probing Questions, and you've got a series of great questions like the ones you just shared to move the conversation forward.
0: And then if you're the listener and you get a question that's hard for you to answer, and this reminds me of law school when we used the Socratic method, uh, which was very scary and almost a nightmare. Can you comment on what you were supposed to have read last night? Often you can use little tactics like, Oh, that's an interesting question. Can you focus on that a little more? Or I agree with your premise, but I want to take it in this place. Or here's a good one. You know, My concern is then you actually appropriate that question and put it in a context in which you can really respond to it by putting it in your own context. So don't think of yourself as answering that question directly if that's hard or if the question is too broad. Uh, say, my concern is, or in my job, or what I've experienced is, now you've set yourself up for success because you're putting it in a, a context, like I said, where you can answer it effectively.
1: Joel, you mentioned the word focus, and Ryan talked about being caught flat-footed because obviously he was focusing on what was being said. Does active listening differ from focus listening? Are the two hmm. terms used interchangeably? Some people will state it's the same and others will say, well, you know, focused is more just getting rid of the distractions, whereas the active is more that interactivity.
0: Well, Greg and Ryan, I try not to deal with labels too much in my work because I'm not giving a uh, pop quizzes. It reminds me of when we talk about grammar. Well, is this a past participle? I don't know. <laughs> and does it matter? Is there a quiz? Uh, so I try not to look at definitions, even in the bread and butter of my work, which is about making strong points points in high school, it was called a thesis. And in media training, it's called a key message. So I don't worry too much about active listening versus uh, other kinds of listening, what we call this. What I'm more interested in are the tactics one uses to become a more effective listener and a more
1: obvious effective listener by your nonverbal communications. Joel, as you're speaking, I'm nodding my head up and down. But obviously, since we're doing audio only, you can't see me and thinking about some nonverbal cues, what's a good nonverbal cue? And maybe is there a verbal cue that really doesn't do anything?
0: Right. And by the way, I think I can hear you smiling and I think that's (laughs) possible. So that's a good thing, even if you're only on audio. But one of the things I counsel my clients about, and I say when I'm talking about two-way communication is this idea that when you smile, and let's say you even want to support your colleague who's speaking. When you smile, you're basically saying, I'm enjoying this, or I'm thinking about something funny that happened this morning. (laughs) You never Mm. really know. It goes back to this point about the cues you're taking may not be the cues they're intending. Mm. But smiling, let's call that okay. Uh, Then let's move up one step in the evolution of nonverbal responses. Let's say clapping. Now, clapping basically says, good job, You accomplished your mission. You got to the end. I'm clapping because you showed the courage to finish. So that's okay. That's pretty positive. I'd like to get to the end of my message. Uh, But the most effective nonverbal that I've found that I really counsel is nodding. Because when you're nodding while someone is speaking, you're saying, I'm buying what you're selling. Uh, I've received your message. And yes, it makes sense to me. And yes, I'm going to process it and apply it to what I do to make myself more effective. Now, there may be a concern that you may see a bunch of bobbleheads on your Brady Bunch screen Mm -hmm. if everybody's nodding. But generally, I don't think that will happen because people will be nodding at different points. But if you want to show, and this is for leaders in particular, if you want to show that you not only hear what they're saying and you not only are listening to what they're saying, but you approve of and can make use of what they're saying, the nod Will communicate that. I know when I'm speaking and someone is nodding, there's no greater affirmation I can take from an audience member uh, that I'm doing the right thing or what I'm saying is valuable than when they're nodding.
1: But they have to do it genuinely because I know I've spoken mm-hmm. to people where they're sitting, they're across the table from me, they're on their phone texting. And I'm talking and they're just basically <laughs> nodding back and forth. Right. They're doing something <laughs> else. But I will
0: tell you this. If, if someone in the room is struggling, they're a new speaker, they're very, very nervous. Uh, they're working their way through it and they need that extra kick of support. Sometimes as the speech coach uh, in the room, I will nod to indicate to them, you're doing well. Keep it going. I'm buying what you're selling. The audience is receiving it well. Keep the courage. And sometimes that works. And I'll tell you something else, and I'm not sure if this is effective or not, but if someone is going long and rambling, sometimes I'll nod deliberately as if to say, we got it, you're done. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, move on, we understand. So I'm going to use it deliberately as a speech coach and to someone who's supporting speakers. But generally, yes, if you want to show that you're processing and that you acknowledge and appreciate what people are saying, and that goes back to leadership, leadership then an authentic, yes, nod will go a long
1: way to helping that person feel supported. So listen with your eyes, listen
2: with your ears, listen with your head, and listen with your heart. Well said. Joel, actually, sometimes I employ the nod when I'm not necessarily buying what they're selling. Mm -hmm. I'm listening and really trying to get their world and what they're trying to communicate, knowing full well that a minute... (laughs) from then as they finish, I might say something that contradicts what they said, but I I want them to feel heard and acknowledged and listened to. Is that maybe confusing for me to do that to people? I don't think so because I think
0: it's so broad. What is a nod really? Mm. It doesn't need to be connected necessarily to even I'm buying what you're selling. I think it also communicates I'm engaged and I'm interested, which gets close to what you were saying this intrigues me. It's something I'm going to want to think about later and maybe come back to you on or maybe have a contrary opinion. But I think nodding also communicates, this is intriguing to me and I'm going to think about this, which is just as powerful.
2: Joel, it occurs to me that sometimes people are trying to communicate something and they may not even be fully aware of it. I'll give you an example I can remember years ago working in an office, there was an upheaval about the change to the coffee service in the break room. (laughs) And I don't think it actually was about the coffee, but the coffee represented a larger concern of the employees not feeling respected or appreciated or maybe feeling insecure or threatened in some way. Of course you can see this in marriages and intimate relationships all the time the things we get in arguments about that actually have nothing to do with the content of what we're discussing. So I'd love to hear you comment on how you balance listening for content, you know to use that term Greg just used. You can be really focused listening, I'm catching every word of your what you're saying, but you can completely miss the context of what the person is actually whether again they're fully aware of it or not attempting to communicate as a listener, you really want to get at the root of
0: their concern or their problem or even just their question. And one of the ways to do that, uh, and I talk about this in the fifth tip, which is about reflecting questions back, but because you open the door to relationships, I'm going to mention that where this comes from in my world, which is uh, imago. And not everyone knows what Imago means, but Imago is a tool. And I hope I don't ruin the definition too much by appropriating it. But Imago in couples counseling is where a partner says, you are leaving your shoes all over the house. And the other partner says, let me understand what you're saying to me. So we're all on the same page. Are you saying that I leave my shoes all over the house? And that if I do, someone might trip on it and break their neck? And the first person says yes that's exactly what i'm saying and then you can move on to address it knowing that you're both on the same page but if the one of those people says no that is not what i'm saying it's actually a deeper issue it's not about the coffee it's about this then you have this moment of clarification Uh, so let's bring this to the workplace and the leadership realm a leader may say when posed with a question let me just make sure i'm understanding you correctly are you saying that you're concerned we will run out of money in the fourth quarter? And you really wait for that person to confirm or correct it. Yes, I am saying that's my deeper concern. Or no, I'm just worried that we're going to have money left for the big holiday party. Uh, whatever it is, two good things happen for the leader. One is you get accurate information and you can address it. Is it about the coffee or is it about something else? But two, It is an amazing moment of demonstrated acknowledgement. I care as a leader about your true and biggest concern, so much so that I'm not going to answer right away, which is sometimes it seems like it's the job of a leader. You ask a question, I give the answer. Uh, It's a better job and it shows effective acknowledgement if you take the time to confirm and reflect back what that person's concern is, so they can you know, make it clear. And then you can address it. Then you demonstrate that you're a leader who cares. You're a leader that wants to get at the root issue. And you're a leader that wants to stay on topic when you answer the question.
1: Well, Joel, as our time comes to a close, it seems like we've just scratched the surface of the iceberg when it comes to mm-hmm. effective listening. And folks, if you've been listening and hearing... I want to highly recommend that you take the time and tell your friends about this particular episode. There's lots of, certainly some golden nuggets. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, and pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts.
2: Awesome, Joel, thanks so much for coming on the show. Before we let you go, you did make reference to your book. Do you want to share about what listeners can find in your book and also share where our listeners can go to get in touch with you or to find out what else you're working on, what else you're up to. Sure. I recommend that listeners or watchers, if if this was a
0: video podcast or anyone running into me in the street, in fact, that they go (laughs) to uh, www.joelschwartzberg.net. That's J-O-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-B-E-R-G. Blame my parents. Uh, That's where I house all of the articles that I write, all the podcasts, and information about my two books, Get to the Point and the Language of Leadership, which basically say, you need to know what your point is before you can start speaking, whether you're giving an address or answering a question. If you don't know what a point is or what your point is, uh, then you should be nervous because you are prone to rambling, circling around, uh, saying a bunch of useless things. So it all boils down to, and what all my training is about is understanding what a point is, how to magnify it, and how to champion it.
1: That's fantastic, Joel. And we'll certainly put a link to your website and to
2: your book in the show notes. Thank you. You can find all seven ways, Joel suggests, that leaders can listen more effectively in the July 2022 issue of the Toastmaster. Joel Schwartzberg, thanks for coming on the show. We look forward to monitoring closely the pages of the Toastmaster magazine for your next Mm -hmm. contribution. Thank you so much, Greg and Ryan, and to everyone, happy listening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it about time you published that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.